Welcome to the Universal Sisterhood Podcast. We're hoping to create a place where women can delve deeper, lift their gaze higher, live freer, laugh louder, smile brighter, and be the authentic woman she was designed to be. Every human heart is created to be known, loved, and understood. So this is the place where women can share their stories. Welcome to episode 58. Today's guest, like most of my guests, is somebody whom I'd never heard of or knew of. Um, And like all my guests, there is a tiny seed that's planted and there are stirrings on my heart until I actually reach out to these people. And uh, this guest is no different. I heard her name uh, on a different podcast in February and I was really taken by what she had to say and the book she had written. so one thing led to another I reached out to her and with 12 kids between us and two husbands and uh, work and life we finally um, found a time where we could talk to each other and, and spanning across continents so that every the logistics made it difficult but once we um, got in contact it was like speaking with an old friend um, you will hear how naturally we connected it it was really beautiful Um, her book really touched my heart deeply but not only did it move me in true Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity style it came at the perfect time God's time Um, because in just under a month myself and my wonderful team are hosting a women's retreat called Beloved Uh, I found that Um, this stirring on my heart to let women know how loved they are was began years ago and it's just all come to a head and it's finally going to become a reality next month and it just so happened that this book came to my uh, attention I read it it my heart exploded with joy and it just seemed so fitting and just so providential that I um, I had to get her on the podcast because everything she was talking about, everything St. Elizabeth stood for was what I am hoping to achieve by hosting this retreat next month. And Elizabeth more than anyone knew what waited for her spiritual mother, for other women, for her sister, um, when they found that call to prayer, that there was this unfathomable love that God has for them, this tenderness and this mercy. Um, And she just says it so beautifully in these letters that she writes to her sister and her mum. And she says, let yourself be vulnerable. Let your walls down, your carefully constructed fortresses breached, your fiercely guarded heart laid bare. Let your wounds be touched, your fears revealed your deepest desires, damaged dreams, and most daring hopes unveiled before the bridegroom who has the power to redeem, restore, and resurrect them. Drop your independence and the idea which you clutch so tightly that you can do anything to protect and save yourself and just let him love you. And those words were just so beautiful to me that I had to get Claire on the podcast so please listen please share it with a girlfriend that needs to know how loved she is because you are so loved my friend so loved and God loves you 
just the way you are. He loves you where you are. And he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay where you are. He wants you to open your heart to him because he wants to fill every facet of your heart with himself. And that's when you will find true freedom. So have a listen, like it, share it. um, And hopefully I'll see you on the 12th of June at the Beloved Retreat. I am Claire Dwyer, and I'm a Phoenix, Arizona mom of six, and I have, my kids are 23 down to nine. My husband and I have been married for uh, 24 years, and um, I work full-time from home for the Avalif Foundation, primarily as copywriter and editor of their website, spiritualdirection.com which is such a gift and a blessing because I get to write and I get to work with other writers. And uh, just in January, my book, um, This Present Paradise, A Spiritual Journey with St. Elizabeth of the Trinity was published by Sophia Institute Press, which was such a joy. And um, yeah, I think I hit the the big <laughs> note there. <laughs> have, you, uh, have you always loved to write? I have. And I talked about that in the book where, you know, just sometimes the Lord just gives you these, what we call charisms, these gifts of the Holy Spirit that are not meant for us, but they're meant for the church. Now, I didn't know what it was when I was a child, but I just knew I loved blank paper and pencils and the possibilities of it. And so, um, whether it was writing in a diary or writing stories at school, I loved it. And I always thought it was so funny in college that people didn't enjoy writing papers. I just thought, <laughs> well, what is it? What this is great. Um, but I never actually wrote a blog. Blogging is how I began writing, but I didn't even start that until my youngest was about two years old. So I went most of my adult life not writing much of anything. Um, so it's funny how life comes full circle and God brings things back in different seasons. Yeah. What did you study at college? Well, it's funny you should ask. I started as an English major because I knew I liked to write and it lasted mm. for two weeks because <laughs> I took a scripture class with Dr. Scott Hahn. Mm. Are you familiar with um, mm-hmm. him and yes. all of his books and uh I took a class with him that I wasn't supposed to get into. I actually, there's a chapter in the book about this too on scripture. And I was a freshman in college and I wasn't supposed to get into his class, but they let accidentally, I got in. And I remember sitting in the front row and having this man crack open the scripture in a way that I had never heard it before. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I think I could study English anywhere, anytime, but I think that I need to get as much of this as I possibly can while I'm here at this university. And so I um, switched majors to theology and I just soaked it up for the next four years. Wow. What a gift. What, what, what a mistake. What an accident. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing. Not at I've thought about that many times since then. Yeah. yeah. It's true. Wow. Well, you have written a book that I have read. Is it your one and only book? Yes. My one and only. 
my first they were born. more in the pipeline. My first born book. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently they do say that writing a book is like giving birth. The whole process is is very similar. I can tell you, as somebody like you who has given birth a number of times, there is something similar to this the idea of laboring through something and being so invested in it and putting so much of yourself into it mm-hmm. and and seeing it come into being and then literally saying hello world what do you think and it's like terrifying and mm-hmm. exhilarating and exhausting all at the same yeah. time sound familiar <laughs> very familiar but so rewarding yes yeah well i want to congratulate you on the birth of your book because she's a beauty <laughs> thank you I, I loved it um I loved every page I did cry I did laugh um but the the I heard you or you had a podcast with abiding together and I was riding a bicycle in, in far in Queensland not far north Queensland but mid Queensland in the tropical of there was the beach and the beautiful blue waves and these blue butterflies and I was listening to you whilst riding the bike and you were talking about how um we wait for all these big um moments when we're for God to speak to us so the heavens to open and um for him to show us a sign but really the signs are paved in peanut butter fingers and crumbs or something I totally butchered it but you know what I mean yep. you know what you said <laughs> although I probably couldn't repeat it back to you right now you probably said that better than I could have but, but I could true. so relate yeah we we look we want signs and we want God to speak to us and come crashing through our everyday life and then you realize you're speaking to me in the every day and I'm so busy waiting for the big sign mm. and the big, you know, voice to come out of heaven and like speak to us audibly or something that we miss the little things that are revealing your will to us in the day to day. And it's really by being obedient to that, that you act, that God actually manifests himself to us. It's like the, it's like Elijah, right? God's not in the wind. He's not in the storm or the earthquake or the fire. He's in the breeze. Mm-hmm. But if we're so busy looking for the earthquake, we're not going to feel the we're breeze. We're not going to feel the breeze. And mm-hmm. it's so similar, I think, for us as women. There's so many ways that God is trying to get our attention in the day to day to reveal his love and his will and his, you know, um, it, it, I, I think that we we feel like it's less than, you know, that these moments are just less than. And then the reality is that they are, they hold him within them, which means they're eternal. And I often think to myself, I don't know about you, but I often think if I could just get away, if I could just make that retreat, right? If I could just have a few hours in the Adoration Chapel. And sometimes we can, and sometimes that's exactly what we need. Mm-hmm. But if we're supposed to be home, and if we're supposed to be making dinner and helping with homework in that moment that we're wishing we were somewhere else, I honestly believe that if we went and left and went to church, God wouldn't even meet us there. Mm-hmm. He, his intention is to meet us in those moments. So if we try to escape them, even sometimes in our mind or with our phones or whatever, we try to be anywhere but where we're supposed to be. 
we've just missed a divine appointment. Because wow. we're supposed to be doing that one thing, and that's where he is waiting for us. And the minute we turn our mind or our hearts or even our bodies away from that, we have just missed an opportunity to love that will never come again. Wow. That is so true and so hard to live. I was I was talking yesterday to one of the teachers in the staff room about because one of the um one of the younger teachers is pregnant and was talking about how she doesn't have morning sickness and you know and we were both looking at each other like we suffered terrible morning sickness and and how we complained about it and I said to her don't you wish you did it again just so that you realized that was actually a gift. That morning sickness was a gift and I wasted all that whinging and complaining and, oh, my gosh, I was such a whinger. <laughs> okay, you're going to have to explain that term. <laughs> oh, you don't know whinging. Whiner? Like, what's yeah. a whinger? <laughs> no, isn't a whiner like a, a hot dog? <laughs> Wiener. <laughs> Winger, a winger is somebody who complains. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> so in the United States, that would be a whiner. Okay, a whiner. <laughs> I love um, it. Love it. <laughs> so um, just what you said, I missed all those divine appointments because I was so caught up in feeling sorry for myself or not, not actually um, – being grateful for, for that moment that I had or that season that I was in. And I know it's a very human kind of response, but gosh, I wish I could do it again and not, and not waste those opportunities. Okay. So do you know what I'll say to that? Yeah, please tell me. <laughs> okay. I'll say go to that part of the book where it's, I will restore the years. Oh, yeah. And I will say that in, the, in you speaking that right now, to all the maybe hundreds of women who are pregnant right now, you have just redeemed all of that that you thought was wasted. Because in telling that story, which you never would have told if it hadn't occurred to you, how many women are now going to be offering up that that wouldn't have before? Yeah. That's how good our God is. Oh, like we so beat good. ourselves up and he's like, no, 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 no. I had that figured out already. Like I was going to use that. So beautiful. I cry a lot on this podcast. Now you've already started me. <laughs> Tears are good. Tears they are, good. are good. I've learned to love them. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thanks for restore. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to restore that. <laughs> um, and so the other thing is how true that is. My, the hardest part of my day is tucking my children into bed because all I want is for the day to be over <laughs> and it's this like mom come come in and say prayers and, and I know it's meant to be so life-giving and and joyful and reverent and but it's often the time it's like hurry up would you hurry up come up we've got to get through this Hail Mary you know this deck of the rosary get into bed I, I need to breathe again mm -hmm. um, but reading your book helped me to redirect my focus and realize that it's actually Jesus that I'm tucking into bed. Mm -hmm. It's actually Jesus who's saying to me, come on, come and say this one, you know, one last decade with me. And it helped me to um, 
refocus my or change my attention. So thank you for that. Wow. Well, I, I'm praise God that it did that. I'm, I'm sitting here like totally identifying with you. Isn't it crazy? Like how the kids can draw out bedtime. Oh, it's oh, ridiculous. Man. And it doesn't matter how early you start. Like somehow they're just eking out every little minute that they can. Oh, it's, that's, yeah. that's the most sanctifying part of my day. And I fail miserably every night. <laughs> And well, I know it's coming. Yeah. I know it's coming. That's the thing. And I kind of go in really gun ho. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to win souls. And I fail <laughs> most nights. <laughs> but I'm sure I'm not the only woman that feels that way. And that's kind of what your book helped for me to see was there are a lot that we all kind of battle on together and we're never alone. You know, um, so we were, to, before we started recording, we were just talking about the Blessed Is She retreat that just happened here in Phoenix. Mm. And I think I got the best compliment on my book I've ever gotten. A woman came up to me and said, your book made me feel normal. Oh. And I thought, all right, stop right there. All right. That was the best. If that just helped one woman feel not alone, mm. right? Uh, it's done. Like the book has accomplished its purpose. Yeah. Because I think in the the wider scheme of things that w the point I was trying to make with the book was that the saints show us what it is to be human, to be holy, but in a human way. And there's just thousands of different stories in the way that sanctity plays out in their life. And, you know, here's this Carmelite nun from the turn of the century who had so much to speak to me as a mom, even though our lives could not have looked more different. And so on the wider scale, the saints make us feel part of this body of Christ that is so universal, mm -hmm. universal sisterhood, right? <laughs> and then, and then, you know, you bring it down on a smaller level and you realize the connectedness of, of our shared experience. And we were saying, right, one of the lies of the devil is to tell us that's not true. Mm. Everybody else has it together but you. <laughs> Who do you think you are? You don't have anything to say to anybody that's going to resonate with anybody else. You know, you are alone. And, and to shame us into that place of aloneness. Mm. Oh, my gosh, that's a lie I bought for a long time. I don't even know that I bought it, but I did. <laughs> and I think I was like in, I was so into it, I didn't realize it. Um, anyway, praise God, if that was the case for just one woman, apparently maybe there's two, <laughs> maybe you're the other one. <laughs> Here I am. Um, it's so true. It's so true. And that's kind of the, the whole reason for this podcast is that women don't feel alone. Women can share their experiences and how God redeems that. And, um, we're all pretty much experiencing to, to a greater or lesser degree, very similar situations and the enemy just wants to tell us all the time you're the only one feeling this you know you're alone it's and it's it's such a lie and I I even caught myself um in that lie on Monday <laughs> yeah and then I, uh, the result of that lie is shame and so then we hide we make ourselves even more alone I just had a, heard a priest say on a a webinar um, last week, he said, you know, the result of original sin was that Adam and Eve hid. And he said, what would have happened if he's like, imagine what might've happened if they, they sinned, they fell. 
And when God came, they came to him and said, we're sorry. Is it possible that the whole trajectory of our humanity could have changed in that moment? Like, what if they just would have said, I'm sorry, and owned it? Mm. But they didn't. They hid oh. from God. Uh, can I add to that? Yeah. I read in, in that book that we're both reading, Personal Prayer. Um, I think it was in that book. I've got so many books beside my bed. I think it's holding up my bed. Yep. <laughs> all, all my books. <laughs> but I think it was um, he said that Adam and Eve hid in, sh- in shame and they hid behind fig leaves. But God not only came looking for them, he gave them soft clothing. Like he's mm, so good. That's right. A- yes. I just thought, oh, he did too. He brought them skins or he gave them, you know, he gave them animal skins to clothe themselves in. So he he redeems everything and he's he's so good. He's such yeah. a good father. He, we- even in our brokenness and our sin, he's like taking care of us. Exactly. Yeah. So imagine if they said we're sorry. <laughs> I'm sure we wouldn't have had COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we don't know what would have happened. And that was his point. It's like, do we ever stop to think what would have happened if the minute they had fallen, they turned back to their father? Mm-hmm. Would things have happened the way they did? Would, would, you know, would it have taken thousands of years for redemption? Anyway, God used it all for good, right? And yeah. it, it's, it is all in the end, you know, used for his purposes, but. Could you tell us a little bit about um, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, considering she's the starring saint of the book? Yes, absolutely. So Elizabeth of the Trinity was a uh, French Carmelite nun from the turn of the century. She was born in 1880, died in 1906, so she was only 26 years old when she died. Um, She lived most of her adult life in the Carmelite convent in Dijon, France. But she had spent um, several years, five or six years, waiting to enter the convent because her mother, who was a widow and only had two daughters, was, we'll put it nicely and we'll say she was reluctant. <laughs> she loved her daughter's uh, company. She, yes, thank you. That's even better. It's putting it even more gently um, to let her enter the convent. So the thing that's a little bit distinctive about Elizabeth is that she lived these years. Granted, she entered when she was 21, which is still young. But in those days, that was really a mature woman by the time you were 21. And so she had lived um, roughly, I guess it was probably about six years between telling her mother she wanted to enter and actually being given the permission to enter when she was 21. And didn't she live like around the corner? Next around the corner. It was excruciating because they had moved to this apartment after her father died when she was seven. And the apartment providentially, again, no coincidences, overlooks the garden of the convent, which was right around the corner. So Elizabeth's bedroom window, like literally overlooked the garden so she could see the nuns who were enclosed. And this, so this was not a site that anybody else would ever have seen Mm. unless you had an inside view. And the Lord used that and used some experiences of himself in prayer to reveal to her that that was her vocation and her calling was to enter the convent and to become a Carmelite. 
Uh, so it was the one desire of her heart. She never had to discern it. She knew that's what she wanted. She believed it's what God wanted. And here's her mother closing a door. And so what did she do? Well, she was a really strong willed, temperamental, choleric girl. And her instinct was to rail against this, you know, closed door. And she did at least in her personal journals, she was kind of like, why God are you making me wait? And, but what he was doing in that time was maturing her spiritually and teaching her that, you know, having a vocation to the convent or whatever, um, that's all good. But the one thing I want from you is your will. I want you to surrender everything to me. Even these things that seem to be my will, but are not like my will is your mother's will right now. And so she had to lay down even the most precious thing she had, and that was her vocation. And in that, God really taught her what was important, number one. Number two, he taught her that she could be a Carmelite in her heart. And that even though she was a she was a pianist and she was winning, you know, awards at recitals and she was traveling with her mother on summer vacations and shopping for clothes and going to parties and dances and all of that was all external, and yet she could have a like literally live a cloistered life in her heart. She learned to do that. So when she finally did enter the convent, all of the people that she had been friends with, she did not forget. She corresponded with 40 lay people throughout the five years that she was a Carmelite nun. And what was she teaching them? She was teaching them what God had taught her in all of those years before she entered and basically saying, this is what prayer is. This is what God desires from you. Make sure that throughout your day, you know, you're recollecting yourself, you're bringing yourself to him, that everything's important. Read the scriptures, like everything we should be doing. But the what's remarkable is that at that time, in that culture, nobody was really saying that. Hmm. Therese was saying it, right? St. Therese, who... Elizabeth of the Trinity knew of. They never met in person, but she was one of the first followers of St. Therese because as a Carmelite, she would have read Story of a Soul before just about anybody in the world. Although it wouldn't take long for the rest of the world to read it either. And that's mm -hmm. so typical of Therese. And we can talk about that too. But, um, <laughs> but you know, St. Therese wrote about it, right? Finding God in the little things. But she was writing to her sisters in the convent. Mm -hmm. Here was a woman who was fully living the cloistered life and yet was sharing it with the laity. And yeah. so it was kind of a prophetic, I, I talk, I say in the book, like it kind of was a prophetic voice in anticipation of Vatican II, where the church never said, never did not say the laity are not called to holiness. And certain saints along the way have also said that like Francis de Sales comes to mind um, but it really wasn't like this big theme, especially in turn of the century France. Elizabeth would not have heard homilies about finding God in the peanut butter. Like yeah. she would not have heard that. She, she wouldn't would have had heard. access to online homilies or YouTube. And you know, right. if anybody was saying it, she wouldn't have heard it anyway, but certainly not in France. And she was probably going to hear fire and brimstone yeah. Uh, far more than she was going to hear about God's merciful love. So when she read Therese, it was like, you know, fireworks going off. Like, yes, I thought that's what God was like. That's what my prayer is telling me. And Pro you're confirming that. Probably like how 
we've discovered each other, you know, finding other like-minded women. Yes. Yes. Totally. And, and they are sometimes referred to as like sisters in the spirit, Therese and Elizabeth, although they never met. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth had her own spirituality. She wasn't exactly like Therese, but she was certainly influenced by Therese and that idea of the merciful love of God and, you know, finding him in the everyday are some similarities that they both shared. So Elizabeth, um, and, and providentially as well, she was allowed to write far more than a Carmelite normally would have partly because she became sick. And for the last year of her life, she was given permission to write more frequently um, because they knew that her time was short. She had Addison's disease, which is a disease of the adrenal glands and now is totally treatable, but at the time really wasn't understood. Certainly there wasn't much they could do for it except try to make her comfortable. Mm -hmm. But the reality was with Addison's disease, you lose the ability to process food and drink, and so you starve to death. And so over 10 months, she slowly starved to death. And so certainly knew the excruciating pain of like physical suffering and spiritual suffering. And, but she was by that time a saint. Yes. She said, you know, well, and thirst. And she said to her mother superior, um, you know, I know it's really bad, but I think the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is drink. (laughs) (laughs) What did Christ gonna, say from the cross? Scientific vision, right? Like, I'll see you in a minute. I'm going to go over here and get a drink. <laughs> right. Oh, what you're right standing there with a drink. Yeah. It was an echo of Christ from the cross, right? I thirst. Yeah. 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 Well, my sister had heart surgery, and the first word she said when she, when she came, she suffered a lot, and she's a very holy woman. The first word she said to me in ICU was, I'm thirsty. And I just thought, wow. <laughs> it was profoundly beautiful. And mm-hmm. I just thought hearing those words from somebody, when you know the meaning of those words, is incredibly um, transformative. And I'm, that's, that just reminded me of it then. How beautiful. That's beautiful, yeah. Yeah. Um, now there's something I would love you to talk about because – I had a very similar experience, and we only just realized it um, before recording. Uh, I was at a funeral on Monday, and it was a very beautiful funeral, but it was very um, it was a it was a funeral that many um, people who have are very successful in the world's um, eyes attended. And there were prime ministers and premiers and treasurers and journalists and all. The who's who of Sydney were there and I was sitting there humbly, you know, mum of six, primary school teacher from Western Sydney, which isn't great and it doesn't, doesn't have great connotations. And I was asked by somebody, what is it that I do? And I said to her without uh, a blink, I said, I'm a, I'm a teacher. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I regretted them because I didn't add to it that I'm also a mother of six children and mm-hmm. it stuck with me all day long. And I, I, I felt why I, I am confident in my role as a mother, but I still did not tell her that I was a mother of six. And it's this going back to that lie that the devil always plants on you that, you know, you're not that, you know, 
you're not that important. Not that I feel that I'm important, but the role of motherhood is has always and is always not esteemed, not held up. But Saint Elizabeth, I, I in your book, I see that you have had a similar experience. Um, and could you explain yours? Yes, and it was in that chapter, I think, where it was kind of talking about the idea of the little way and Therese and some of the similarities with their spirituality. And I was sharing the story, which is very similar to yours, and that I was at a luncheon. I'd been invited with a, I'd been invited to a luncheon by a friend who was a um, had an important role at a radio station. And um, I just, in my, I was just naive. I thought, oh, sure, this is great. The bishop's going to be there. He's going to give a talk and we'll have lunch. And I was all excited just to get out of the house. And um, I get to the luncheon and I'm kind of making my way to the table and I'm looking around. It's like the who's who of Phoenix. And um, we sit down and the women start introducing themselves at the table. And that's when I realized, oh, this is a leader's luncheon. Like everybody here has been invited because they're on the board of Catholic charities. There was a woman at the table that ran a hospital. Like there was, um, everybody had a position of influence. Hmm. And I immediately, like my throat closed up, my hands got clammy. I like I, I, I didn't know what I was going to say because the inevitable moment came when the woman next to me turns and says, and what do you do? And at the time I had six children too. And what did I say? I work part-time at my parish in a sense of like shame mm. to the point where I, I just, I didn't know what to do with myself. And I was telling you after that uh, you know, fine. I got through the lunch just fine. It was delightful. It was wonderful. Those women were not judging me. I probably felt like they were, mm. but um, it was a wonderful lunch. But I had this moment when I got back in the car in the parking garage and I literally broke down and I didn't even know why. And I thought to myself, what was that about? Mm. I never wanted to be anything but a wife and mom. I never wanted to run a hospital. I, you know, I couldn't have cared less. And yet in that moment, something within me accused me. It was mm. the accuser really. Now I realize it at the time I just broke down. And I say in the book, like I just made the resolution in that moment. Well, if all I've got is little stuff, Lord, I'm going to make the best of it, which is what we do need to do. But the other thing we need to do is realize what you just said is that, um, it's a lie. It's to be rejected it is to be sent back to hell, which is where mm -hmm. it came from. I have a friend who's a Catholic counselor and she works with women that are post-abortive and she works with women that are very broken in many different ways. And I asked her once a couple years ago, I said, Nikki, what is the biggest lie? I, I said, I know that you hear women coming and they're condemning themselves and accusing themselves and struggling in many areas. And they believe a lot of lies. But I said, what is the biggest lie or like the, the most common one or the most fundamental one? And she says, oh, that's easy. She's like, it all comes down to this one. You are not enough. 
you're not enough. And every other lie that we listen to and that we tell ourselves, that's like the root of it. And I thought, isn't that the truth? You're not Mm -hmm. enough this, you're not enough that, you're not a good enough mom, you're not a good enough Christian, you know, you're not thin enough, pretty enough, smart enough, like whatever. We walk around trying to be enough and in God's eyes, Mm -hmm. it's just about being us. Mm -hmm. If we're fully ourselves, then we're enough. So anyway, um, I totally relate to you on that. And I think that um, it's just so true. I know. And getting back to your point, he loves us exactly where we are. He loves us where we're at, but he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay where we're at. Right, right. Right. Like, it, and that's a, that's a good point too, because a lot of times we hear the world telling us, celebrate who you are, like you be you. Yeah. And right. There's like all lies. There's like a little bit of truth to it. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. the devil can't create. He yeah. can only warp and distort. So he can't come up with some truth that doesn't have some truth in it, mm. or he can't come up with a lie that doesn't have some truth in it. Mm. So there's truth to that. But then the truth is that God desires wholeness for us Mm. so it's okay to be broken right everyone says like I'm broken like yes let's not celebrate that though let's acknowledge it and invite God into it Mm. but realize what he wants for all of us is wholeness and that's not an that's not an opportunity to like condemn ourselves because we're not but it's just an occasion to invite him in yeah Um, so that's a good point I think a lot of times um, I, I talk about this, the quote of St. Catherine of Siena that everybody loves so much, right? Be who you were meant to be and you'll set the world on fire or whatever, like different versions of that. Mm. And the world loves that quote. Like you don't even have to be Christian to love that quote. Be who you were meant to be. But the, the key that everybody forgets is like who you were meant to be. Mm. That means who God created you to be. It doesn't mean who you feel like being. It doesn't mean yeah. who you invented yourself to be. It doesn't mean who the mess that you are right now. <laughs> it means... <laughs> Discover how, how God has designed and created you in his, in his call on your life, live it out fully. And then you're going to set the world on fire. It doesn't mean, you know, who you, yeah. think, who you think you're supposed to be, which is what, <laughs> yeah, Society people want thinks, it to mean. Yeah. 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 It's so true. Um, so going back to that part of being a mother and not feeling uh, valuable enough. Because you you're not you don't have a you don't have a um or you don't get paid for it basically you don't have a you have a title but you don't have a position of power only in your own four walls and these days most mothers don't even have that mm-hmm. <laughs> the kids kind of uh, run rings around them um, you were talking about in your book the um, the beatitudes and. Was it the Beatitudes of Mum? Was it you or was it the CFRs? But oh, I'm pretty sure you had the mercy. Yes, yes, yes. Because I thought that was so beautiful because that that's kind of what helped me tuck my kids into bed a lot a lot kinder. <laughs> Could you explain what the works of Mum are? Yes. Well that okay, so yes, there's a chapter in the book, which is funny too. Another, you know. A common thread with you is that it was at a funeral for my friend's mother where God kind of revealed to me like come on Claire I was feeling so bad listening to the homily about the separation of the sheep and the goats and like I was hungry and you fed me I was thirsty and you gave me drink and I was racking my brain trying to think 
how I was living this out in my life and pretty much ending up discouraged and like a total failure as a Christian. Well, at the time I had six children, all probably under the age of like 12. (laughs) My son in the middle of this, like, you know, I basically was a pity party for myself. He tugs on my skirt and he's like, mom, can I have some water? And I look at him and it was in that moment. It was like, oh, oh yeah, I was thirsty. How many drinks have I, how many sippy cups have I filled, right? And this, so it was kind of like God turning the lens and, and all of a sudden everything becoming clear. Like in that moment, these are the spiritual works of mercy and the corporal works of mercy and you're doing them every day. And that's exactly where I'm supposed to be doing them. Not to say that the the call to the poor of the world and to the to attending to the needs of our neighbor are not something that I could have done better and needed to do more, but that I cannot disregard the every day where I'm literally feeding Christ in the bodies of my children. And, um, and then just recently I heard Father Mark Mary, one of the CFRs in the Bronx, one of the Franciscan friars who serves the poorest of the poor in the middle of New York City and does the works of mercy, like has chosen that as a way of life and lives it like in a really radical way. And he was talking to some mothers and he was saying, he was basically saying the same thing, but he calls it the um, works of mommy, like the spiritual works of mommy the corporal works of mommy, um, which I thought was just kind of neat way to frame it. Um, and, and basically he was saying the exact same thing. Like you are called in this moment to, to clothe the bodies of your children, to feed them, to give them drink, to, to the spiritual works of mercy, instruct the ignorant, mm. you know, visit the imprisoned. Do you have a teenager who's in the prison of their own emotions? Like they need you. And if you were to go out and try to go to a soup kitchen when you've got a lonely teenager at home, there's something disordered about that. And God will never call you to that wider ministry if you're needed at home, right? Um, I think that's just, um, it was refreshing to hear Father say that, especially because he has chosen that lifestyle. And he said he said something um, He said, you know, no one's going to make a documentary about a mom filling a sippy cup. He's like, they're going to make a documentary of men in the Bronx, like bending over a homeless person. No one's going to acknowledge that is important, but it is no less important than the ministry that they do. So Mm. I think every woman needs to hear every woman stuck at home needs to hear that who feels that they're unseen and they're you know it's just this groundhog day every day is the same when am I ever going to get out of this cycle of of nap we call them nappies here of nappies and (laughs) and sippy cups and you know lego it's oh legos oh oh lego there's no s on the end of lego There's, there's, there seems to, we feel that there, it's never going to end. But that's exactly where he wants us. Mm-hmm. It's, right. it's, it's, it's actually so simple, but so mind blowing as mm-hmm. well. <laughs> True. It's a, it has eternal value. It's kind of like the gospel. Yeah. If you really look at the gospel, it's really not complicated. 
Yeah. Doesn't mean it's not hard. And it's yeah. certainly mind blowing. Yeah. But yeah. That's amazing. Oh, Claire, thank you so much for spending your Friday night, our Saturday afternoon, <laughs> uh, chatting to me about your book, about St. Elizabeth, about your life. It's It's been truly, truly rewarding. So thank you so much. Well, thank um, you for having me. You're welcome. Before we finish, um, I ask all my guests to think of something that brought them joy this week. So uh, I'll put you on the spot and see whether you've found something that's brought you joy. It doesn't have to be anything mind-blowing or fantastic. It would be a simple sunset. <laughs> Not that sunsets are simple. It's so funny because I was thinking about that. You gave me a heads up and I was like, I had coffee ice cream. That was really good. And then the Lord was like, Claire, your son just had his first communion and confirmation on Wednesday. Like that kind of beats coffee ice cream. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> so I have two. I have coffee ice cream and I have the Holy Spirit and the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in my little nine-year-old for the first time. Um, and I don't know what it's like uh, in Australia, but in Arizona, the bishop is, has... Um, moving toward the original order of the sacrament. So the children are confirmed around second or third grade. Mm, and so he, same here. same here. Yeah. It's kind of beautiful because they get those graces and the strengthening of their baptismal, you know, graces when they're young. Mm. Um, so to, he just to see him receive the sacraments and to be so excited about it, it's just reliving the joy. Yeah. So beautiful. Um, it's autumn here. So I just went for a run and running through autumn leaves is, it's, it's like there's this mosaic all over the ground. It's like a, a painting on the floor. It's so beautiful. So it's autumn in, a, in where I live. It's so, because it's quite warm. You probably don't see much of autumn in Arizona, do you? In so in Arizona they do have autumn in the north. Now I'm in this in southern Arizona. It's the arid um, desert, and so we pretty much skip autumn and spring. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we are already in about our second month of summer, which lasts half a year, and it's yeah. probably 90, ninety-five degrees or so. But so which I'm is... envious. I'm not from Arizona originally. I'm probably from a climate more similar. Uh -huh. uh, with four seasons, I miss it. Yeah, well, autumn where I live is just spectacular. So that's what's brought me joy this week. Oh, Claire, I'm going to put your book in the show notes and I, I encourage every woman to read it because it speaks truth and it speaks reality and it's so beautiful. So thank you for writing it. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for having me. You're welcome.